realize when the vote is this close that it's not over. Are you sure about that, Roy Moore? Are you sure? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast. And around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling adventure that we call the Bradcast. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, good good afternoon, good morning, good evening to you, Desi Doyen. Yes, it's. Uh, Did you get been... some rest after that big election night? Boy, that uh, was on a, Tuesday night. That was a nail biter. Uh, well, at a press conference late today concerning that nail biter, Senator Elect. Doug Jones, Democrat from Alabama, said he received a, quote, very gracious call from President Donald Trump, who is, of course, known for his graciousness. <laughs> it's uh, it's a kind of a sad commentary that we're kind of surprised by that. I know. Yeah. A very gracious call congratulating him on the on his upset victory uh, on Tuesday night, though Jones says he has not yet heard from his Republican opponent, Roy Moore, who has not conceded the race as we go to air today. Jones said that he and Trump, quote, talked about finding common ground to work together. Uh-oh. Uh, earlier in the press conference, a reporter asked Jones if he had spoken with Moore, uh, who has not yet conceded and who has suggested that he may demand a recount. Jones said he has not. A reporter asked him, do you think that he should concede? And Jones said, I'm going to leave that to him, which, frankly, is the right answer. Good for him. Uh, had it been reversed, uh, the Republican would have said, yes, he ought to quit. The voters have spoken. The Democrat is a sore loser, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is that Republicans do. So I was happy to see uh, Jones's comments to say, yeah, leave it to him. Well, Moore has not uh, yet conceded, and he has suggested that he may, in fact, seek a recount in the race or what passes for a recount in the state of Alabama. But whether he would actually be allowed to have what passes for a recount under Alabama law, that is a separate question. The Alabama Secretary of State's comment to the 
effect that Roy Moore could if he was willing to pay for it, notwithstanding. We'll talk about that in a little bit. More more on that with um, one of the nation's top election recount attorneys coming up shortly. He is just back into uh, back to D.C. today from Alabama, where he was advising the multipartisan election integrity group in the state of Alabama, seeking transparency by forcing the state to retain digital ballot images from the state's paper ballot computer scanners. He will join us shortly on all of that and much more. Uh, in the meantime, Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer on Wednesday called on Republicans to delay to delay a vote on their pending tax overhaul legislation until the new U.S. senator from Alabama, a Democrat, is uh, sworn in and seated in the U.S. Senate. Schumer wants to slow down the legislation, which Republican leaders want to vote on before Christmas. So that Democrat Doug Jones, who won an upset victory in uh, a deeply far, far deep red conservative far right Alabama on Tuesday night so that Jones can uh, be seated and cast a vote in the very closely divided U.S. Senate chamber. Today, we Senate Democrats are calling on Mitch McConnell to hit pause on his tax bill and not hold a final vote until Doug Jones is sworn into the Senate. Doug Jones will be the duly elected senator from the state of Alabama. The governor didn't appoint him. He won an election. It would be wrong for Senate Republicans to jam through this tax bill without giving the newly elected senator from Alabama the opportunity to cast his vote. Schumer said that under Alabama law, Jones could not be sworn in until at least the end of December. But Republicans are expected to reject the Democratic leader's plea for a delay in voting on the tax bill. Today, Republicans announced that they have reached a compromise uh, legislation between the uh, House and Senate, at least the House and Senate Republicans. Uh, they have reconciled the two bills passed in each chamber purportedly uh, on their $1.5 trillion tax scheme that will result in a massive historic redistribution of wealth from the poor and the middle class to corporations and the rich. Now, uh, Matt Viser was the first one that I saw to, to mention this over at Boston Globe. Uh, but Scott Brown, remember him, Senator Scott Brown oh, yeah. from Massachusetts, who now is uh, whose seat is now. Uh, well-filled by Senator Elizabeth Warren. Scott Brown was sworn in 16 days after the 2010 special election that he won, but no major votes occurred during that period, and they certainly could have, because that was when the Republicans were trying to get, I'm sorry, the Democrats at the time were trying to get the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare passed. Uh, at, at the time, Harry Reid, who was the uh, in charge of the Democratic Senate back then uh, said that, no, we're going to wait until the new senator arrives, the new Republican senator arrives until we do anything more on health care. But uh, apparently that uh, that favor is not being returned by the Republicans. As Alice Olstein reports at TPM today, Jones will likely not be sworn in until Congress reconvenes in early January. Republican candidate Roy Moore has yet to concede uh, and Alabama's top 
election official, Secretary of State John Merrill, has said that the election will likely not be certified until December 26th at the earliest and January 3rd at the latest because each of the state's 67 counties has to finalize their vote total. Once Jones is finally in place, Republicans would then have a razor-thin 51-seat majority in the U.S. Senate, meaning that any one defection could tank their legislation under the special reconciliation process uh, that is allowing them to pass this bill with a bare majority of of just uh, 51 votes. Actually, they can do it with 50 votes because they've got Mike Pence, vice president, to break the tie. Uh, That rather than the 60 votes normally needed to overcome a filibuster. But uh, Harry Reid did not do that back when he was, back when the Democrats were in control of the Senate, back when uh, in 2010, when he generously waited until Brown arrived in the U.S. Senate to ultimately pass a scaled-back version of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. They actually had to change that bill because they knew it would be harder to get a vote. Uh, Ted Kennedy had died. He was replaced in that special election by the Republican Scott Brown. Uh, So very nice of them, very nice of the Democrats to do that. But Republican Senate Mitch McConnell is not expected to show any such courtesy because, well, Republicans don't do that sort of thing. That even as Elizabeth Warren tweeted on Tuesday night, I call on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to listen to the people of Alabama and to seat Doug Jones without any delay. In fact, McConnell could actually seat Jones at any time. They don't have to wait for Alabama to certify the uh, certify the Senate election. Republicans routinely do not even wait for results to be certified from these races before Bringing the Republican, uh, you know, if a, when a Republican wins a, Senate, a special election, bring it, hustling them out to D.C. <clears throat> and seating them. But uh, apparently Republicans are in no rush to do that now for some It's like crazy there's reason. there's different norms between Republicans and Democrats. Imagine huh? that. Um, in addition to the reminder about Scott Brown, uh, Democrats also pointed to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's decision last year to refuse to hold a confirmation vote to fill any empty Supreme Court seat until after the 2016 election. Remember that? He blocked President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court for nearly a year and then swiftly confirmed President Trump's far right wing choice, Neil Gorsuch. McConnell had justified that at the time by arguing that the American people should have a voice in that decision. That's why he wouldn't seat Neil Gorsuch. Uh, And so uh, the American people have had a voice in this decision of uh, who's going to represent Alabama. But apparently McConnell's not going to wait for that. (laughs) On Wednesday, Schumer said that the people of Alabama should similarly have a voice on the tax bill with someone that they elected rather than Luther Strange, the Republican. Now, remember, Strange was not elected by the people of Alabama. He might be a Republican, but he was appointed by the Alabama governor, the one who, by the way, was forced to resign shortly thereafter in a scandal. But uh, Strange was uh, appointed to fill that seat. So this is not even an elected Republican senator uh, sitting in that seat who will vote on this tax bill. Schumer said what's good for the goose is good for the gander. McConnell ought to do what he said should be done in 2010, delay until Doug Jones gets here and can cast a vote plain and simple. 
McConnell's office, however, has indicated that Jones's election will not change his decision to hold a final vote on the tax bill as soon as possible. Because that's how Republicans operate. Nonetheless, it was a very big win for Democrats on Tuesday night. Uh, and I should say congratulations, frankly, to the people of Alabama, to the voters, to the Democrats, of course, uh, but to all the women and the young voters and especially the African-American voters who turned out and fought like hell to cast their vote in huge numbers with rules and laws purposely stacked against them. That ended up making uh, the difference, it appears, in the results if they hold up. But congratulations to the people of Alabama who turned out to vote and to do the right thing for the state of Alabama and for the country. And frankly, uh, not to uh, toot my own horn here, Des, you would (laughs) never see me doing such a thing, but... Uh, back when everyone was saying that uh, Donald Trump couldn't win uh, last year, I said, mm, yeah, he absolutely could. This year, when uh, D- everyone was saying Doug Jones, there's no way that he could win, that no way that Roy Moore could lose. I was saying, well, yeah, if all of the voters who want to vote show up and get to vote and get to have their vote counted, then yes, absolutely, Doug Jones could win. In fact, I couldn't see how he couldn't. But uh, and now it appears that he has. And um, that's a fact, uh, as I see it, that uh, whether one is a Democrat or Republican or anything else, this is good for the state of Alabama. It's good for the country. And in fact, it's much better for Republicans that they won't have to deal with an accused child molester as their colleague in the U.S. Senate as they uh, as they head into an election year important election year in 2018 rejection of a candidate like Roy Moore is the right thing for Alabama and for the country period there needs to be a law a line drawn somewhere at this point and well it seems that the voters of Alabama may have just drawn it now, Doug Jones, uh, at this point, as we go to air, has uh, some 49.9% of the vote. Roy Moore has 48.4% of the vote. That's about one and a half uh, a percentage point margin. Uh, that's about uh, 20, 21,000 votes. There are, uh, according to uh, the Alabama Secretary of State's website, there are almost 23,000 write-in votes. Um, but uh, unless all of them have, have written in Roy Moore, uh, it doesn't look like there will be enough votes there to change the balance. Uh, there are some uh, overseas votes, and in fact, Alabama allows overseas votes to arrive up to one week late. Uh, that seems unlikely to uh, to change the to change the the uh, the outcome here. But you know what? All in favor of waiting for every vote to be counted and counted accurately in as much as we can know that the computers, the computer scanners in uh, in Alabama actually count them correctly. Uh, Doug Jones gave a victory speech, naturally, even while uh, Roy Moore did not give a concession speech. Here's a here's a little bit of Doug Jones's speech on Tuesday night. I have always believed that the people of Alabama had more in common than to divide us. But we have shown the country the way that we can be unified. You know, I keep hearing about the different uh, uh, communities in this state. The African-American community, thank you! My friend! 
friends in the Latino community, thank you. To all my Jewish friends, happy Hanukkah. This entire race has been about dignity and respect. This campaign has been about the rule of law. This campaign has been about common courtesy and decency and making sure everyone in this state, regardless of which zip code you live in, is going to get a fair shake in life. And let me, let me just say this, folks, to all of, those, all of my future colleagues in Washington, don't wait on me. Take this election from the great state of Alabama. Take this opportunity in, in light of this election and go ahead and fund that SHIP program before I get up there. This vote, this vote, I've said it before. Alabama has been at a crossroads. We have been at crossroads in the past. And unfortunately, we have usually taken the wrong fork. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you took the right road. That was uh, Senator-elect Doug Jones, uh, theoretically Senator-elect Doug Jones, Democrat from Alabama, at his uh, victory speech on Tuesday night. It will be the first time in some 27 years that Alabama will have a Democratic governor. Greg Sargent noted uh, after this uh, stunning uh, victory on Tuesday night, uh, Greg Sargent of The Washington Post said, narratives that just died, that African-Americans won't turn out that Trump's formidable last-minute entry will swing the election, that pro-choice stance will have doomed Doug Jones, and that uh, Steve Bannon, former White House advisor, Steve Bannon's use of Nazi-Soviet propaganda techniques was fiendishly brilliant. None of that came to pass. None of that proved true. African-Americans did turn out. Trump's uh, efforts did not work. It was the second time in the same election that Donald Trump's candidate had lost. He had supported Luther Strange in the primary. Uh, he lost to Moore, and now uh, Moore appears to have lost to Jones. And the idea that uh, a pro-choice candidate could not win in the Deep South. So all of that is gone. Uh, all of those notions, I hope, at least, are gone. Uh, Ezra Klein notes that uh, Alabama did not elect a child predator who thinks Muslims should not be allowed to serve in Congress. That's not the highest bar I can imagine for a democracy to clear, but I'm glad we cleared it, he said. <laughs> well, you know, yes, at least there's that. That's right. Uh, so uh, Jeet here of the uh, the Atlantic, I think, uh, says that uh, this election had unique features, of course. But if the Democrats can win in Alabama, they can win anywhere in America. A 50 state strategy. He called for. And uh, one of the most. In oh, and, and Eric Holder, former attorney general, now working with former President Barack Obama on unrigging our wildly partisan gerrymandered states, said that in spite of suppression efforts, in spite of Trump, in spite of Bannon, in spite of fear mongering, Virginia, New Jersey, Alabama, all who had huge victories, uh, flipping seats from Republicans to Democrats over the past weeks. Uh, he says that is a trend and promises see you in 2018 in every race, in every part of this great nation. Before we get to a break here, Colorado Senator Cory Gardner, a Republican, he was one of the strongest Republican voices in the Senate, um, 
calling for Roy Moore to drop out of the race following several reports that he had uh, that Moore had made inappropriate uh, sexual advances on teenagers and so forth. Uh, Gardner is the chair of the National Republican Senate Committee. He had cut off the funding to Roy Moore and to that campaign uh, very early on by the NRSC, and he kept it cut off, unlike the National Republican Party, which stayed for a while uh, and then they left, but then they came back to support more in the week or so uh, before the before the election. Gardner also said that he would support the Senate expelling more if he were elected. So with that in mind, the statement that uh, Cory Gardner issued last night for the NRSC, National Republican Senate Committee, uh, kind of wins the chutzpah award for the week. Oh, yeah. Uh, a statement that I think uh, uh, Roy Moore's Jew attorney would understand. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Gardner's uh, statement after the results came in, he said, Tonight the results are clear. The people of Alabama deemed Roy Moore unfit to serve in the U.S. Senate. I hope Senator-elect Doug Jones will do the right thing and truly represent Alabama by choosing to vote with the Senate Republican majority. <laughs> Oh, my God. Vote with the Republicans because you got voted in as a Democrat. Yep. That's not how this works, guys. That's not how any of this works. Good luck with that, Senator uh, Gardner. But with all of that, at least as of airtime today, as I say, Roy Moore has refused to concede the race, suggest he might like some kind of a recount if he's allowed it. So can he actually get a recount in the state of Alabama after losing by... Uh, in truth, a fairly slim 1.5% margin, uh, according to the unofficial results. But that uh, seemingly slim margin is actually some 22,000 votes out of uh, about 1.3 million cast. And hey, what about that election transparency lawsuit that seemed to have been won on Monday in Alabama to retain digital ballot images from the state's paper ballot computer scanners? They, that case seems to have been won, only to then be effectively overturned by Roy Moore's old colleagues on the Alabama State Supreme Court at the last second, just a few hours later before Tuesday's election. What about that? Those stories and one of the attorneys, a longtime recount expert just back from Alabama after helping in the fight for that attempted election transparency suit in the state, are all next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. 
Too. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Roy Moore, Alabama's Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate special election on Tuesday, did not concede the race to his Democratic opponent, Doug Jones, on Tuesday night after the media called the race for Jones with uh, about a one and a half percentage point lead. As it currently stands, Jones is up over more in Alabama's unofficial results by some 21,000 votes, according to the state's paper ballot computer tabulators. And there are almost 23,000 write-in votes to be processed as well, according to the Alabama Secretary of State's website just before airtime today. Here's Moore's election night announcement that he would not be conceding at least immediately, to Doug Jones. Realize when the vote is this close that it's not over. And we've still got to go by the rules about this recount provision. But we also know that God is always in control. You know, part of the thing, part of the problem with this campaign is we've been painted in an unfavorable and unfaithful light. And that's what we've got to do, is wait on God and let this process play out. I know it's late. We can't wait and have everybody wait till after 11 o'clock. Uh, but the votes are still coming in, and we're looking at that. May God bless you as you go on. May he give you a safe journey. And thank you for coming tonight. It's not over, and it's going to take some time. Thank you. Well, while more waits on God, the state of Alabama will be canvassing the computer-reported results of the election with votes thankfully cast on hand-marked paper ballots across the state, though tabulated by oft-failed and easily manipulated computer tabulators. As to the possibility of a recount of those paper ballots, as Moore alluded to there, well, Alabama's state law states that recounts amount to running the same paper ballots through the same computer systems, which either counted them correctly or incorrectly in the first place, and who knows, unless humans are allowed to examine the paper ballots, they'll just go right back through those computers again. But the state only pays for a so-called recount if the margin is 0.5% or less, uh, the margin between the two candidates. Well, on CNN last night, shortly after the media had declared the apparent winner of the race as Doug Jones, and after Jones had given his victory speech and Moore chose not to concede, which, by the way, actually has no legal meaning either way, the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill, was asked about whether Moore would be entitled to a recount. Here's Secretary of State Merrill's response. There's always a chance of a recount because any candidate can ask for a recount, and if they pay for it, they can receive a recount. That is, in theory, true, but uh, not necessarily in Alabama. Uh, while I support any candidate asking for a so-called recount, in particular a hand count examining the paper ballots by actual human beings, which does not appear to be an option at all in Alabama, 
The Secretary of State appears to have been wrong about any candidate being allowed to ask for a recount as long as he or she pays for it. After Moore's announcement in Merrill's statement on CNN, UC Irvine election law professor Rick Hassan noted at his election law blog that examining the statute regarding recounts in Alabama reveals that only those, quote, with standing to contest the election under two particular sections of the law may ask for a may ask for or receive a count, presuming that they pay for it. Now, under those two sections of the Alabama Code, Hassan notes that they do not allow candidates, interestingly enough, for federal office in Alabama to request such a recount or to contest the election. The ones who can contest an election are, uh, from the statute here, any person declared elected to the office of governor, secretary of state, auditor, treasurer, attorney general, commissioner of agriculture, public service commissioner, senator or representative in the state legislator, justices of the Supreme Court, and so on and so forth, but not those who are running for federal office. Unless there's a provision I'm not seeing, Hassan wrote, Moore cannot get a recount if it is outside the 0.5% margin. And while he says Moore could ask for the uh, U.S. Senate to conduct some kind of contest there, Hassan notes, good luck with that. When Hassan uh, noted this discrepancy and, um, and asked why Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill had still not corrected what appears to be an inc- inc- inaccurate information, that he gave to CNN on Tuesday night. Incredibly enough, Merrill simply blocked Hassan on Twitter. Hassan is a very well-respected and off-sited election law expert. Asked about all of this uh, by an Alabama newspaper today, Merrill said, well, if we need advice or counsel on this matter, we'll be asking, we'll be seeking it from attorneys and judges in the state of Alabama not attorneys and judges in the state of California. But that wasn't the first peculiar move that Merrill, a Republican and the state's chief election officer, carried out this week. As we've been uh, reporting on the broadcast, he also went to the state Supreme Court late on Monday night to reverse a lower court ruling in response to a suit by a group of multipartisan election integrity advocates who were seeking to force the state of Alabama to retain electronic ballot images created by the state's paper ballot computer scanners that in hopes that the public might be able to oversee the results of this election somehow since the state only allows recounts by the same computers that counted them in the first place and frankly makes it impossible for anyone to actually examine the actual paper ballots cast in the election. Joining us now to discuss all of this is Chris Sauter. Presumably uh, he has not yet been blocked on Twitter by Alabama's Secretary of State. Uh, He is a longtime election attorney and university professor. He was an early advisor to some guy named Barack Obama and another guy named Bernie Sanders, among others. He literally wrote the book on election recounts with 1994's The Recount Primer, considered by many as a definitive guide to election disputes. He worked on behalf of Democrats on Al Gore's 2000 recount in Florida, Al Franken's 2008 recount in Minnesota, among others. And he's currently an adjunct professor at American University, where he teaches courses on constitutional and election law. 
including one entitled The Recount Process. He's just back in D.C. today after several days in Alabama working on that lawsuit uh, to try to uh, get the state to retain ballot images. Chris Sauter, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Great to have you here. Uh, first, uh, I want to get just sort of your general thoughts on Tuesday's reported and fairly slim apparent win for the Democrat Doug Jones over Roy Moore in uh, deep, deep red Alabama. Well, the, um, uh, the Jones campaign figured out a way how to make the Obama coalition work in Alabama. The, the three key pieces of the Obama coalition are minorities, especially African-American voters, mm-hmm. uh, millennials, and uh, suburban women. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously there are other pieces, but those mm-hmm. are the, the three largest pieces of that coalition. And uh, Jones exceeded Obama's 2012 percentages. Mm-hmm. He got about a third of the white vote, and that was primarily suburban women, uh, and he did very well with millennials. The turnout was unusually high for a special election, in excess of 40%, when they were projecting somewhere between 20 and 25%. So Alabama you know, was uh, a lot like Virginia in November, mm-hmm. a couple weeks when um, handicappers were predicting it would be a very close election, and, and in fact, uh, the Democrat won for governor by nine points, and Democrats erased a 32-seat margin in the state legislature, state house. Mm-hmm. So that might qualify as a trend. Um, <laughs> I guess we, we'll see what happens uh, in the next round. But it was a campaign that was well executed. They had a, a good ground game. They had a good candidate. They had a solid message, and they had a flawed opponent. And uh, all of those, I think, uh, usually add up to uh, a very competitive race, well, a very competitive candidate. And uh, clearly he did well, no matter what the final reports are, uh, or final, what the re- final results are. Uh, in fact, Donald Trump had won in Alabama in November of 2016 by some 28 points. So even a one and a half point win for a Democrat statewide in Alabama seems remarkable. Now, Chris, I, I realize that we can't know unless paper ballots are actually examined by human beings, but you've worked on a lot of high profile recounts over the years on behalf of Democrats. Should more be allowed uh, such account if he wants one in Alabama, and do you see any possibility that the ultimate results could somehow change in his favor with such account? Well, one of the things I've observed, and I've been doing recounts now since uh, the 1984 House recount in Indiana that was ultimately decided by four votes, mm. still the closest U.S. House race in modern times. One thing I've observed is uh, that in the heart of the narrowly defeated candidate lies the belief that he actually won or at least the hope that a recount will somehow salvage a victory. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's another way of describing denial in an election uh, that is heartbreakingly close Mm -hmm. to the loser. That's uh, because they put in so much time and energy. And Mm -hmm. in this case, they clearly thought they were going to win. But nonetheless, uh, my experience is with this kind of margin, this is not anywhere close to being close enough for a, a recount. The recounts that I consider to be close are those that are 
mm-hmm. where the margin is a few hundred votes or less. So my guess is what will happen is they'll wait till the rest of the uh, overseas votes come in and they count the provisional ballots and there's the canvas and to see whether or not there were any major errors. And there are always errors mm-hmm. uh, in tabulation. And every, every single close election that I've been involved in, there have been errors. Usually errors tend to cancel one another out, more or less. So I would expect, uh, in the end, that he throws in the towel. Another one of my experiences is that money is the driving factor that pushes a losing candidate out of the race, that convinces uh, he or she that a recount is not worth it. Mm. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine the national Republicans throwing more good money uh, after a bad situation in a in a recount. True, so, though, though they do I, have an incentive, Chris, to try to delay this as long as they possibly can to delay Doug Jones' well, seating. Yeah, they did do that with Franken. Yeah. But the Minnesota statute was a special statute that allowed uh, the seat to be vacant uh, during a contest. And I'm not aware that uh, Alabama has a similar statute. Uh, My understanding is that once uh, certification occurs, and that's a mandatory function, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not discretionary. If somebody is certified as a result of of a canvas, and once the candidate has, has a valid certification, he can take that to the Senate, and the Senate will seat that candidate except in extraordinary circumstances, which don't seem to exist here. So I don't really see that scenario happening, but stranger things have happened. <laughs> yes, especially in this Senate with uh, with Mitch McConnell in charge. Now, it looked like, um, we, and we covered this in, in some detail, uh, Chris Sauter, uh, it looked like a win for your multi-partisan lawsuit that was uh, filed earlier in the week. Uh, seeking ballot images to be retained by the state of Alabama. Um, there was a it was a win the day before the election, but after winning that order to retain all such digital images so that citizens could examine the results, uh, Secretary of State John Merrill went to the state Supreme Court later that day and got a last minute emergency stay on that order. Didn't even allow. The plaintiffs to respond before the order was issued, which, uh, you know, resulted in those ballot images being destroyed, I guess, on Election Day. It seems incredibly unusual to me. I'm not an attorney, but that plaintiffs were not allowed to respond uh, in that case at the state Supreme Court. Why were you and the the plaintiffs not allowed to respond at all? What happened there, uh, Chris? Uh, Well, it was extraordinary. I I want to just uh, go back to the uh, the other point about... uh, more ability to get a recount. I do think that Rick Hassan's theory is correct, that the statute allows recounts in those races that are uh, where the margin is over Uh one half of one percent paid for by the candidate only in those cases Mm -hmm. where where it's not a federal race. Right. And they may have misread exactly what the Constitution says or what the the case law is. Mm -hmm. Actually, the Supreme Court has ruled that if a state has a recount that allows federal candidates to uh, to have the races reviewed, mm-hmm. that doesn't prevent the, that machinery from happening. It was a case called Harkey versus Rodebush. 
but in this case, there, the statute seems to preclude that, and that would mean, as as you pointed out, that would mean that they would have to contest the election or more would have to contest the election in the United States Senate. Um, the Senate rarely gets involved. They didn't. They did not get involved in the Franken right. Coleman race, for example. The last time I remember was Mary Landrew, and I believe it was 1996, won a 10,000 vote race, and uh, there were allegations of voter fraud, and they took a look at it and declined to uh, to get involved. Mm-hmm. Before that, the uh, the only one I remember was 1974 when the margin coming out of a New Hampshire Senate election was two votes. Mm. And the U.S. Senate couldn't resolve how disputed ballots would count, and so they ordered a new election. But we're talking about margins way, way less than this. Anyway, getting back to... Yeah, it's about uh, 22,000 votes, and uh, Moore was talking about overseas military votes. is only apparently about... 8,000 uh, Alabamians uh, even uh, enlisted and serving overseas. So even if he won them all, right. it seems uh, incredible. But going back to that uh, going back to that lawsuit at the state Supreme Court, yeah. Yeah, so we, we filed the lawsuit uh, late last week, and it was set down for a hearing on Monday morning. And both sides were present. Both sides were uh, given an opportunity to present evidence and, and argue in the court, the trial court, uh, entered a number of findings, mm-hmm. um, including that the laws that require the digital images to be preserved, that there was very little argument about that. In other words, the, the state didn't make much of, put up much of a fight mm-hmm. uh, on that point. Rather, the, the state tried to argue that it was not really within their authority or their ability to to make sure that ballot images were preserved. Mm-hmm. We made the argument that they send out directives to county election officials all the time. They have an Alabama election manual that is over 500 pages that describes virtually every kind of administrative action that locals could and should take. Mm-hmm. So it was obviously disingenuous for them to make that argument, and the court didn't buy that. The court only seemed to be interested in whether or not this would present some kind of financial burden on local governments uh, or the state. The Secretary of State's lawyer conceded that the costs would be nominal. So um, given that uh, kind of evidence that was presented, it was no surprise that the court issued an order that the Secretary of State's office instruct county election officials to preserve the digital ballots. And that's all, they, really that's, all, a, that's all the Secretary of State had to do. He was just ordered to send yeah. out a notice saying, flip that switch to turn on those digital images, right? That was, that was all correct. he was asked. That's correct. Yeah. And there's really no, there's no legitimate reason not to do that. Um, as I said, it, it costs vir- virtually nothing, and it takes very little effort. It's a matter of just flipping a switch. Nonetheless, the Secretary of State's office decided to fight that order, and they went uh, into the Supreme Court with what is called a mandamus action. Um, it, it is possible to, uh, under extraordinary circumstances, 
to get uh, an order, a mandamus order. Uh, but in this case, in my opinion, the Supreme Court should have, but did not, allow for both parties to make the arguments. And in fact, yeah. we, uh, looking at the timing of when the order was entered, which was about 520, right. and the time that we received their documents, which was just a few minutes before 5, uh, I got the feeling that they pushed the send button on their way into the chambers. <laughs> so yeah. they could tell the, the uh, chief judge, who was the one that heard it apparently, that they had notified us. Well, yeah, they notified um, you, but they didn't give you any chance to, to, to get there no. and respond. And that seems, you said it was extraordinary that they didn't. Uh, why why wouldn't they? I mean, do you have any sense of what was well, actually I, I going on here? Well, I don't want to speculate. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, they did uh, indicate in their order that their uh, order would, does not moot out our case. I feel pretty confident that we will prevail in some way um, and be able to um, have our day in court for uh, in order to get a permanent injunction, which was initially scheduled for December 21st, mm-hmm. but which has been postponed uh, given these circumstances. But what good, now, uh, Chris, what, what good does having uh, this hearing, I mean, it won't moot out the case, I guess, but it seems to moot out the issue, at least for the Senate election, because Well, it does for the Senate late. election, but yeah. uh, our, our cause is to preserve digital ballots. Uh, as, as it turned out, the election doesn't... One of the, there are a couple of reasons why digital ballots uh, should be preserved. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, uh, maybe I should explain a little bit what they are. Uh, the technology in voting has been changing quite a bit in, in the last 40 years, mm-hmm. and especially in the last 20 years. Right. There are and were voting equipment um, known as optical scan equipment, which mm-hmm. is sort of the, the parent of digital scan equipment, mm-hmm. in which a paper ballot is fed through uh, a optical scanner. And it's the paper ballot, in that case, which is counted. The advantage of that is that if there is a dispute, uh, well, you have the paper ballots. Uh, A digital scanner um, creates a digital record or file of those ballots. And in effect, what you have are two original originals of the ballot because Mm -hmm. it is the digital copy which is tabulated by uh, the digital mm-hmm. uh, machine. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because it provides uh, an important safety, security, if you will. Uh, and let me give you a couple of examples. And actually, During the Franken-Coleman recount, uh, there was a bag of ballots that was misplaced mm-hmm. or lost. Uh, it was not found during the recount in one of the precincts in Minneapolis, and we weren't able to recount that one precinct with accuracy through a hand recount. And in that recount, three million paper ballots were counted by hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, had we had this modern technology, more modern technology, the digital technology, we could have gone to the digital scanner and determined what the real count was. Um, and it, there's also, frankly, issues of whether or not results have been manipulated that a a second set of ballots 
will provide. And in some cases, some states, these digital ballots are being put online so that the public can review those ballots and do the counting themselves. That seems... Uh, so it's something... That that seems uh, that well that seems key here because uh, thinking about Roy Moore, if he were to somehow be able to uh, to get a count um, uh, at this point, uh, you know, it would be nice if the public was able to see those ballot images because who knows how long it will take before a uh, a recount actually occurs if it occurs, and if ballots right. are swapped in some fashion between here and there. It's something that uh, Alabama Governor uh, uh, Don Siegelman has argued happened in his race. Uh, right. if, if somehow those ballots are swapped, there's really no way for the public to to know whether that has happened or not. That's correct. Um, I suspect if something like that were to happen at this point, it wouldn't be received very well, and, and, and then you would have a Senate investigation. Um, in the Siegelman case, it happened on election night. It was more like a Lyndon Johnson mm-hmm. 1948 election where they were able to, uh, it appears, manipulate the results before they were, um, you know, sort of finally posted. Right. So, and also that election was a lot closer than this one. Right. It was um, easier to do that. Uh, Chris, I, I got to get out here, but I want to okay. just ask you very quickly, uh, do you plan uh, to, A, continue that fight? I think you've already mentioned that you plan to continue it in Alabama, but do you continue uh, plan to continue it? I know you've been working with our friend, a longtime election transparency champion, John Brakey, on this issue. Are you guys going to uh, move to other states beyond Alabama to try to assure that digital uh, images where the systems allow them will be retained as we go into these 2018 uh, uh, primaries and the uh, and the key 2018 mid-year elections midterm elections well in alabama the answer is yes uh, we hope to establish that digital ballots will be preserved for the 2018 elections and uh, john brakey founded this movement, if you will, or co-founded mm-hmm. it uh, in Arizona, and uh, he is expanding his organization so that it can move, begin to move uh, in other states. But I have to say, this this action was initiated by Alabama voters, and we uh, provided, and, and the council in this case, council of record, was an Alabama lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we provided backup consulting backup but i think that we're hoping that that will be the approach that we will take the alabama model and help voters and election attorneys in various states to initiate this on their own um so that they can have ownership of it and it's not people from the outside who are Mm -hmm. trying to do this so uh that's the goal and uh you know i hope that we continue to be successful and that uh, one, one of the things I will say, as a result of this, the Supreme Court has made our effort, uh, has elevated <laughs> the effort as a result of their action. The Alabama, you know, the Alabama or, Supreme Court. Yeah, the yeah. Alabama Supreme Court. Many more people now know about mm-hmm. digital ballot images uh, than would have had they not reversed, uh, not reversed, but stayed our Mm-hmm. temporary restraining order in our case in Alabama. So 
We appreciate that. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll take that, I guess. And that uh, I know that uh, there, you had a favorable ruling along these lines in Arizona. Hopefully you'll get one in Alabama. And uh, will those, by the way, even though they're state state court decisions, do they serve as a, a precedent in other states where uh, well, these challenges not, might happen? Not, not as a controlling precedent. There are some states, including New York, and mm-hmm. uh, now Arizona has codified it, that uh, now... Uh, have state statutes that require preservation of digital ballots. And that's another way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's ever a more favorable Congress, uh, uh, by favorable I mean uh, a Congress that's more in tune with voting rights right. and, and voting integrity uh, than the current one, then uh, it would be great to see Congress pass a law that requires the digital ballots be preserved in all states. Any um, any additional transparency we can get seems like a good idea at this point. You've got that right, Brad. Well, thank you for having me on. I uh, appreciate it, Chris. Chris Souter, uh, really appreciate your time here and your efforts in Alabama, and uh, hope hope you'll uh, continue the fight uh, all across the country as we march into 2018. Thanks a bunch, Chris. Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we're back with a few odds and ends here regarding this election in Alabama such as it is at the moment. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. was a good day. It is a good day, I guess, for Democrats today. A rare good day. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, Democrats are very uh, happy about what happened in Alabama. But Desi Doyen, you know, interesting little point. Uh, even though Donald Trump had lost in Alabama by, I'm sorry, had won in Alabama by some 28 points yeah. last uh, last November, uh, Doug Jones won. If the results hold up as they are currently reported, he won by one and a half points. So that's almost a 30 point swing to the Democrats in the state of Alabama. Seems like great news for Democrats. Well, sure. But, but if, okay. if yesterday's Alabama Senate race, this was noted by uh, Leonardo Carella, p- uh, political science researcher, if yesterday's Alabama Senate race had actually been a House election, if that had been uh, elections, you know, statewide election for the U.S. House, the Republicans who got fewer votes than the Democrats would still have won six out of the seven seats for the U.S. House in the state of Alabama. Oh, so because even though the Democrats got the Democrats more votes, won. yeah. The Republicans would have ended up with six out of seven votes and the Democrats who won the state, the, the, the vote statewide, they would have ended up with one seat in the U.S. House. That's how gerrymandered Alabama, the state of Alabama. is. Yes. If you look at that map, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of mind blowing. Uh, it really is. 
Uh, so nonetheless, uh, you know, keep that in mind as we head into 2018. And as I know, Democrats are feeling really good, feeling very good about their chances winning uh, a Senate seat in the Deep South. The 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 game is rigged. The game is rigged against the Democrats, at least when it comes to the U.S. House. It's one thing if you're running a statewide election, but the way these congressional um, d- districts are partisan gerrymandered by their state legislature, by their state legislature, particularly in these Republican states where they have complete control of the state. I mean, this would be obscene if you ended up with a result like that uh, that we saw on Tuesday. And yet Republicans ended up getting six out of seven House seats. That is not democracy. Um, One more point here. Uh, Matt Iglesias notes that uh, Roy Moore, who (laughs) said who just lost and molests children, maybe an (laughs) overstatement from Matt Iglesias at Vox. uh, But he actually has a higher favorability rating in Alabama than Senator Ted Cruz does in Texas. Really? Ted Cruz, uh, his uh, favorability rating is 38 points in the state of Texas. Roy Moore's favorability, according to the exit polls on Tuesday, he's got 41% favorability in the state of Alabama. So people in Texas like Ted Cruz less than people in Alabama like like Roy? Like the child molester. So (laughs) now Ted Cruz is up for election. In, in 2018, in, 2018, in the state right. of Texas, Senator Ted Cruz. So I wonder it if could that, be. A, yeah, I wonder if that favorability rating will have any impact on that election. It could be a crazy year in the year ahead, and hopefully, we will be there with you for uh, for as much of it as we can. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's program, stop by bradblog.com and download today's or any other program but while you're there please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate this is a critical moment for the broadcast here as we figure out if we will make it into the uh, new election year of 2018 so my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate uh, to actively pledge your support to this program to help us stay on your public airwaves Thank you in advance. Also, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to my guest today, American University election law professor Chris Sauter. You can also drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. See you there and share our work far and wide, if you don't mind. Uh, all right, that's it. Until we meet again, I think. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.